Good morning, everyone, and thanks for welcoming us into your home today. I just have a few quick updates as we think about reopening for in-person services next Sunday, July 19th. Uh, there's really three things that we want you to know. Um, as we look at the provincial guidelines, we realize we're going to be able to have about 100 people in our worship center and about 30 kids in our River Kids space. So um, three things you need to know. The first is you need to register in order to come to a service. And um, we're going to be able to do that from our church webpage. It will, registration will be open each Thursday at 9 a.m. for that coming service. Uh, as you register, you're going to be need to ask or to answer some basic questions, which the same questions you see everywhere you go around our city today. And obviously, if you aren't feeling well, we would encourage you to stay home. Uh, you're going to need to register all members who are coming with you, including children. We'll need to know their ages. And once we've reached uh, the number of people that we can handle for that service, registration will be closed. So first thing, you need to register. The second is this. We're going to ask you to bring a mask. Um, you can wear it when you cannot physically distance. And that will include the time in the foyer, probably. And then once you get your seat here in the worship center, then you can take it off. If you want to keep it on for the whole time, that's certainly your prerogative, whatever you're most comfortable with. Staff, volunteers, and leaders will all be wearing masks, especially in the foyer. The third thing is around our kids. There will be a kids program. There'll be one program for all kids ages 3 to 12. It will run the full length of the morning service, and they'll be in bubbles of 15. When you're asked to register for the service, you'll have to let us know the ages of your kids. Um, and at this time, we're not going to be reopening our nursery, but the space will be available to you if you need it at any time during the service. So we're looking forward to having you back. You'll get a, you got an email from me on Friday with lots more details and lots more information. You can go to our church website. There's an information page there for you as well. And we look forward to seeing some of you back here on July 19th. Now we're going to jump into our series on the life of King David, and today we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. You can't teach through the story of David's life and skip over this story, so today I want us to, to jump into it together. Um, the story of King David and, or the story of David and Goliath is really one of the most popular stories in all of Scripture. Even if you did not grow up in church, chances are you are familiar with this story. Uh, most people know it in its most basic form. It's the story of the weak prevailing over the powerful. It's the story of the little guy beating the big guy. Uh, it's kind of the story of the underdog winning, and we all love those kinds of stories. Now, often this story gets reduced to kind of a self-help lesson, a story with a moral attached to it, that you can do anything that you set your mind to. And that is really a total misreading of this account. It ignores the context and it ignores the details. And today we're going to get into the context and the details, and I can hear your excitement already. It's a fascinating story with so many layers. Um, now, maybe you know this story from like kids' church, or maybe you know it from Sunday morning children's story. You know, you'd come on down and great aunt Sadie would be at the front of the church and she would tell you the story of David and Goliath. And maybe her version was there was a boy named David and a boy named Goliath. Um, and they were taking turns play fighting with each other. And when it was David's turn, he pretended to throw rocks because boys and girls, we don't really throw rocks. And David or Goliath kind of pretended to die and he winked at David and he fell down on the ground. And then they went off and had juice and cookies together. Well, the real story of David and Goliath has got so many earthy, gritty, 
complicated details all woven into it together. And we're gonna look at some of those today. And the reason that I love that the Bible does not spare us the earthiness, the grittiness, and the complexity is because our stories are earthy, gritty, and complex too, aren't they? Our life stories. And so as we get into this today, we're gonna look at some of these. So let's jump in. I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to read kind of various portions of this story today, but we'll start at verse 1 to 8. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war, and they assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes, Damim, between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped at the valley of Elah, and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. This is great storytelling. The champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's about 120 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze graves, which were kind of like iron boots, and a bronze javelin that slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, or about 25 pounds. His bronze, his shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Now we don't notice it right away, but one of the things that's going on in this story is that there's a problem. Israel is stuck. It might not be obvious at first, but the traditional way of a a battle in this time was the, battle, the army of the Philistines would send forth their best man. The army of Israel would send forth their best man. And the two would fight. And the loser would become slaves to the winner. This was kind of a normal way of fighting in these days. So the Philistines sent out their best man, Goliath. And Israel just kind of stood there. They lined up. And they didn't send anybody out. They were stuck Now, the Philistines' best man was a handsome fellow by the name of Goliath. He's about nine feet tall. And he was, in that day, a military machine. He had the bronze helmet on his head, which, as we'll find out later, probably didn't cover enough of his head. He had ringlets of bronze that were sewn into his clothing that provided um, coverage in case someone tried to attack him with a sword. He had a spear that weighed 25 pounds, just the head of it. Imagine the next time you're at the gym, pick up a 25-pound weight and imagine throwing that thing across a field at somebody. But not only that, Goliath had an attitude. He was taunting and teasing the Israelite army, heckling them and saying, come on out and fight me. And each day he was moving closer and closer to the Israelites. And what was Israel's response? Nothing. They didn't do anything. They were stuck. Verse 11 says this, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were looking at this guy with the overactive growth hormones on the exterior, and he was terrifying. And the words of Goliath, the threats, the taunts, they were sinking into their hearts and minds. They were believing them, 
and they just stayed there. And this had been going on for 40 days. A normal battle of this type would have lasted one, two days at the most. Something was wrong. Now, it's a picture of what happens when we realize that our own abilities and our own resources are so limited that fear takes over. And it just grips us, causing us to freeze. Uh, I remember as a kid uh, going to um, a, a big pool with our class to go swimming, and it had a really, really high, high diving board. Now, I'm scared of heights. And everybody was running up the high stairs, running out to the end of the diving board, jumping off into the water, swimming to the side, repeat. They were doing this again and again. So I decided I'm going to join them. So I go on in, I go all the way up the stairs, and I get to the top, and it's my turn. So I slowly start to walk out on the diving board and immediately it starts to go up and down a little bit. And I realize I'm terrified of heights. I look back and the kids are behind me just waiting for me to hurry up and get going so they can have a turn. So I walk a little bit further to the edge and I get to the very end of the diving board and it's going up and down and I stop and I look at the water and how far down it is and I completely froze in that moment. You know, this happens to us in life as well. Fear is so powerful and it can cause us to freeze. We realize that suddenly we stop dealing with things in life. We realize that we can't do things on our own strength and we we get stuck. We're paralyzed. We get reluctant. We just don't know what to do. Uh, Mike Tyson tells the story, the, the famous boxer. He was asked if he ever got scared before a fight and he said, I get scared before every fight. And he said, but my trainer used to say this to me. He used to say, the winner and the loser of the fight both feel the same amount of fear. The difference is in how they respond. And Israel was obsessed with how scary Goliath looked and the words of threats and taunts that he was shouting at them. And they got froze in that moment because they didn't know how to move forward. Now, the story takes an interesting turn really because of a scared father, Jesse. Uh, He's got three boys who are serving in Saul's armor. They've been there for 40 days and haven't come home. And he can feel that something is wrong. Look at verse 17 and 18. So Jesse says to David, get at least half a bushel of grain that has been cooked. Also get 10 loaves of bread. Take all of it to your brothers. Hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 chunks of cheese to the commander of the military group. Find out how your brothers are doing. Bring me back some word about them. Jesse has been getting up every morning for 40 days, standing and looking out the kitchen window down the path, waiting for his boys, hopefully all of them, to come back home. He knows that something is wrong, so he finally decides to send the little one, David, to go find out what's going wrong. So he sends him with some grain, some bread, and some cheese. So David shows up to the camp. He sees the military on both sides. He hears Goliath trash-talking Israel, and suddenly he's ready to take on this giant. He seems to have absolutely no fear when he arrives at the camp, but the problem is that when he arrives, nobody takes him seriously. His older brother, Eliab, who we met last week, is there, and he says this to him. Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? This is an insult. David, you're at home looking after a couple of sheep. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. 
you came down only to watch the battle. Now, that's the oldest brother. I'm an oldest brother. So maybe you younger kids in the family can remember older brothers speaking down to you that way. So David goes on to Saul. His older brother's not gonna let him get involved. How about the king? And, Saul, and he says this to Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, him, will go and fight him. And Saul replied, and you can almost imagine him having a smile on, your face, on his face, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior since birth. So what's going on here? Is David just cocky, naive, um, completely unaware of the fact that he could get himself killed? Is he actually confident that God has called him and is going to bring him the victory over Goliath and the Philistine army? Or is it somewhere in between? I think the answer is found actually in the passage that we looked at last week. Last week we talked about the fact when David got anointed to be the next king of Israel. And when he was chosen and when he was anointed, the scripture said that the Holy Spirit came on David in power. This is not a token statement. God's spirit came upon David in a supernatural way. The Holy Spirit came and gave David the ability to do things that he could not do otherwise. Gave him courage when he didn't have enough courage. Gave him strength and gave him faith when he did not have enough. In fact, when Saul says to David, you're too young to fight Goliath, David tries to explain how God has been helping him even as a shepherd. Look at verses 34 to 37. David says this, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David, the shepherd boy, has been learning to live with the power of God on his life back in the fields. Did you catch what he said in verse 37? The Lord who rescued me. Now, in my imagination, when I read this story, I picture that there was a time in David's life when he was learning what this all meant, and he was out in the field one day, and a bear came to attack the sheep, and he tried in his own strength to fend off the bear, almost getting killed himself, losing two or three sheep to the bear, and having to go home and tell his dad what happened in great shame. And since that time, he's now been learning, God, you have given me your Holy Spirit. You've put your spirit on my life. You've given me access to your divine power and I'm learning to use it for the things that you've called me to do, which in this case now was being a shepherd. And David is now aware that as he walks through life, he's not traveling on his own strength, but the power of God is with him, which is why we should reject any attempt to turn this story simply into a moral lesson about our own human ability to overcome giants. That's a fine lesson, but it's not what's going on here. 
In fact, I honestly believe that if God's Holy Spirit was not on David's life, giving him divine power, David would have died that day in the valley of Elah. In fact, I would argue that when David stepped onto the battlefield that day against Goliath, it was such an unfair, lopsided battle, not for Goliath, but for David, because he had the Lord's power on his side. It doesn't matter how big Goliath's helmet, how much armor, how big and heavy his spear was, it was still an unfair battle in favor of David, because he had the power of God on his side. This to me is a gospel story. God comes in his power and provides salvation for people who cannot save themselves. Now, I want us to see today that God is committed to work through our own broken lives to demonstrate his faithfulness to us because of the power that he's made available to us too like he did to Abraham, like he did to Jacob. God has given his promise to his people and he's called us to live it out and his faithfulness is what follows through into our lives. Let me share a passage from you with you from the New Testament. 2 Peter 1 verse three says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. This is how the Christian life works. God puts on display his glory and goodness through our broken, messy, imperfect lives. It's another example of his graciousness on display in us, through us, in a way that we could never have accomplished on our own. And this is what David's been learning in the fields, fighting bears, fighting lions, His battle with the lion gave him enough knowledge he needed about the Lord's power and provision to help him fight the bear. His battle with the bear gave him the the knowledge that he needed in order to take on Goliath. Not in his own strength, but because he knew God's power had given him everything he needed. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David knew he was not living this calling out on his own strength. And that's what some of you are learning right now. You're learning it, maybe not in the shepherd's field. You're learning it in a hospital room. That God has given you everything you need for this season of your life. You're learning it at work as you deal with difficult people or complex work situations. You're learning it as you care for aging parents and are devoting so much of your time of your life right now that in the midst of that, God is still giving you everything you need to live out that calling. Paul wrote it this way. He said this, in his own battle with chronic pain, the Lord spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is the story of David and Goliath. Remove God and his grace and his power and his provision from this story and David becomes a stain on the grass in that valley. But God is faithful to him. He's faithful to his promise to see his promise carried out through David's life. 
even when David obeys and even when he does not obey. It's a story of God's faithfulness. And the same is true for you and I today too. God has promised his faithfulness to us on our good days and on our not so good days. It's a story of his grace. Well, you know how the story ends. I know you've heard this already. After 47 verses explaining the complexity and the details and kind of building up to this tension, the battle lasts two verses and David kills Goliath. So, the point of the story is not that God wants you to be number one. It's not that God wants to give you a power to defeat other people. And it's not that God gives you permission to cut someone's head off, sorry. The point of the story is that God is calling you to live your life in his strength. God is calling you to live your life through the provisions of everything you need for that life that he has promised to you. We see what it looks like when we try to live on our own strength. We see Saul stuck, frozen at the battle lines, unable to move forward because as he looks within himself, he knows he can't do it. But David comes along with the provision of the Holy Spirit in his life and he's able to carry out the task. So today, would you be humble enough to say, God, the life you've called me to as an employee, as a parent, as a spouse, as someone who's trying to love my neighbor, I can't do it on my own. I need your power to give me what I need for this day. Would you commit to spending time and creating space in your life so that you can receive the very things that God is trying to give you even today? I'm not sure what your battle is. I don't know what your struggle is today. But I know this. God wants to provide for you exactly where you are. So we're going to close in song here this morning as Josh and the team lead us. Would you be willing as you sing the, the final song today just to simply open your hands as you sing? Is your way of saying, God, today I humble myself. You are so gracious and faithful and you want to give me what I need for this day that he might give it to you. Let me pray. God, today we thank you. It is your desire, it is your intention to give us everything we need. That it's your joy to help us each step of the way in things that might seem small and things that might seem big. Humble us. Discipline us so we'll be faithful in creating space in our life, Lord, to allow your spirit to move and speak and to bless. And may the testimony of our lives be like David. It is God who rescued us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.